0: Hi, this is Stephen Krein. I'm here with my partner, Dan Sullivan, for the Free Zone Frontier podcast. How are you, Dan?
1: Steve, we're really rolling. We've warmed up properly for <laughs> two things for entrepreneurs, or which probably are really important things. One of them is confidence, and the other one is cash. These are the two final mindsets, number seven and eight
0: on our scorecard. Confidence is a result of something and cash is a result of something. And I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs or people, for that matter, traditional individuals who aren't even entrepreneurs, really have an appreciation for how they're both a result of something versus something that you start with
1: you have to have capabilities of your own which is the first mindset and then you're able to collaborate with other entrepreneurs who have capabilities so collaboration is number two and as a result of your collaboration you create some sort of new content in the world in the form of ideas and methods and processes and structures that allow people in the world to do things in new ways that are better faster easier one of the number four one is credibility here steve we had a whole discussion of how your credibility in startup health has increased so almost like exponentially i mean if you measure yourself back seven years and i understand you're just approaching an anniversary here when you kicked off startup health and if you were to measure your confidence level you could only chart it with an exponential curve
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think your exercise many years ago that you kind of opened my eyes up to was how there are four C's of building confidence up. Like many things kind of made me, and it probably makes everyone step back and recognize that confidence comes from a series of steps that allow you to be confident. Can you just hit the four C's real quick so that we can unpack confidence a little bit more? Because I do think there's an element to it which Needs to be explained.
1: Yeah, the exercise you're talking about, Steve, is called the four C's. Uh, it seems that uh, C is the most useful letter in the English language for some reason. You know, <laughs> I said if I had to go to an island and I was put on an island and I could only take one letter with me, it would be C, but there's just a lot of useful words for my work that comes with C, but, and this is about all human beings. This would be 7.5 billion human beings that if you're going to create something new for yourself in the world, you're going to have a vision where if you look at yourself right now, you don't have the capability and confidence to actually do that. So my feeling is that capability gets created and the confidence that comes as a result of the capability from two previous steps. One is making a commitment that you're actually going to go and achieve that before you have the capability and confidence, and that requires a second step, which is courage. I talk to entrepreneurs about courage, and they say, yeah, 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 you do that and everything else, but it's very significant because a lot of people live lives where they will not commit to anything where they don't already have the capability and the confidence, which means that they just continue to play the game that they're playing. They can't have a bigger game. Anytime you think bigger and better into the future, you, I can guarantee you right off the bat, you don't have the capability and you don't have the confidence because if you did, you'd be playing that future game already.
0: So hit the four C's really succinctly. It's commitment. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And commitment means that you just have a vision in the future in your mind and it's bigger in some way and it's better in some way than anything you're doing. It can be measured as bigger and qualitatively it's much better. All growth happens by starting with this vision or you call it ambition or whatever you want to do, but there's an emotional buy-in, there's an intellectual buy-in you would grasp that that'd be really good for you and there's an emotional buy-in, I'd really be willing to go through some change to actually get there. Right off the bat, that's gonna require courage because when you first start off, It's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be worry. There's going to be anxiety. Can I pull this off and everything else? And I have to tell you, people in their courage stage are at their most human.
0: (laughs) I love your story of when you were in the army about how you learned the- Grenade practice. The meaning of courage. Do you want to tell that story real quick? Because I think it's- Yeah, real
1: quick. I was drafted right at the start of the Vietnam War in 1965. Went to Fort Knox for my training. And it's summertime, it's July, August in Kentucky, and it's very hot and it's very sweaty. And for the most part, you know, I was in pretty good shape. I was able to handle all the physical aspects, but then they started doing things like live grenade practice and nighttime crawling through fields with live machine gun rounds going a foot or a foot and a half over your head. And you started really developing a sharpness that you could really get killed. And, you know, troops got killed in basic training. I mean, they'd stand up at the round time and they'd catch a bullet or they'd make a mistake and so they show you the army's very psychologically wise about how they teach you things they take you down late at night and they show you grenade practice what you're going to do in the morning and they let you go home and sleep on it over the night so that you'll get a good rest not <laughs> and uh, you know it really scared me i mean the implications of dropping a live grenade are dire. So anyway, next morning I went down there and I had been thinking about this all night and the first sergeant who had been through the Second World War and the Korean War, he says, "Uh, is anybody here scared? And I went up, nobody else would admit to being scared. And he says, well, you know, Sullivan is the only one I really trust here because he's actually saying what's going on. He says, nothing wrong with being scared. He said, I'll tell you what, he says, fear is wetting your pants. And courage, so I'm gonna move on from fear to courage here. Courage is doing what you're supposed to do with wet pants. (laughs) So there's nothing wrong with being fearful when you take on something big. You need it, it's kind of fuel. The feeling of fear is very much attached to adrenaline. You're getting a wallop of adrenaline in your system. And a lot of people just feel that very uncomfortable. Something's wrong, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't go there. But if you're really committed to a bigger vision, you have to welcome going through those periods of courage. its not going to last long. The more you're 100% committed to what you're doing, the shorter the courage stage will be. Because the moment you announce your bigger goal to the world, people will join in. All of a sudden, you'll get ideas. Oh, I could do this. I could do that. But not until you're committed and willing to go through the stage of courage.
0: Yeah. First of all, I think that what I think we just did was demystify the word confidence a little bit because Mm -hmm. it's thrown around often. But you can tell someone's confidence level really quickly. Couple words, look at their eyes, look at their energy that they put off because of their ambition. And we see this often with entrepreneurs that share these big, bold health moonshots, go out into the real world, talk to people. And all of a sudden you have doctors and clinicians and people telling you, you're being too ambitious and too crazy and too bold. And all of a sudden that confidence and ambition through everyone else's skepticism starts to drag you down. And then all of a sudden now you keep making things much more realistic Mm -hmm. and much more doable and all of a sudden, you're just like a traditional entrepreneur or a traditional company. So, when I look at this scorecard, I say, you know, your overall confidence about having a much bigger future that's better and continually growing. And I contrast it with your whole life is controlled by the bottom line, with the result that you're increasingly worried about lower profits and higher costs. There are these bookends where you can be a confident entrepreneur making a boatload of money, right? Mm -hmm. But you're always worried about and thinking about and living like someone with a scarcity mindset, even though you're successful. Mm -hmm. And so some people that I've interacted with, a lot of our entrepreneurs mistake this notion of, well, I'm confident, but it's good enough. I don't need to stretch. So what's the difference between the confident entrepreneur who's just making it happen and the entrepreneur gets out of their comfort zone, creating a much bigger future.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the weird things about this whole confidence- Game. (laughs) uh, The game is that people have trained themselves to think small because they don't like the feeling when they think big. And they don't like being around people who are talking big that remind them that they're playing small. So in the healthcare business, there's a lot of doctors who might as well be blue collar workers working on the assembly line. You're
0: not kidding. Yeah.
1: You know, or other people, you know, they could be management in the healthcare business. They're not any different than somebody who joined the assembly line when they were 20 and retired at 65. And, you know, basically for 45 years, they didn't have to think big. They were in something that was big, but they didn't have to do any of the big thinking. And anytime somebody suggested a change or a new innovation, they say, "Uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But they're actually expressing a way that they've actually crippled themselves from life because they won't let their mind go to anything bigger that actually puts them in an area of discomfort.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's who you're talking to, right, or who you're in front of. The notion that you're talking to the people that the message or the story or the vision will resonate with. People often don't spend enough time thinking about who the audience is that they're speaking to and they're then mirroring. The wrong people in reflecting back on it, like talking to someone who's not a check writer and trying to sell them what you're offering doesn't result in a sale and you look into it much more than probably you need to or should because they're just not the check writer that's the decision maker for you.
1: Yeah, you know, and going back when I first started coaching, I thought I could coach anyone. It wasn't just entrepreneurs that I started off with. I started off with government bureaucrats. I started with corporate bureaucrats. I started with (laughs) nonprofit bureaucrats. I mean, there were managers and executives. I mean, they had under the guise
0: of entrepreneurially minded people.
1: Yeah, I mean, they had budgets that they had discretionary control over. They had decision making. You know, they could do things. And what I found with everyone who wasn't an entrepreneur, just to separate the world into two groups. Everybody who wasn't an entrepreneur couldn't make a decision on the spot, and it wasn't their money that they were using. So after a while of testing the market for two or three years, I said, there's only one kind of person who, if they get excited about what I'm proposing as a growth process, which I was after right from the beginning. There's only one kind of person who can decide on the spot to do that, and there's only one person who can write the check on the spot. So I use those as two criteria. But even then, having separated the world into these check writers and decision makers, I found that the person who eventually became a really good strategic coach client was one out of 20. They had the qualifications, they could make the decision and they could write the check, but it was only one out of twenty. So, gee, that sounds like a great idea. How much does it cost? And I say this, when can we start? You know, I pick out the calendar. I say we can start on that day. And to show that you're completely committed, you know, in those days a five hundred dollar check to get it started. And they said, Sure, I'll write it up. And I just started using that instant response because the moment they saw the idea it was connecting some bigger and better that they weren't accomplishing through their own means, and they felt that my process could assist them with doing that.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. The confidence, whether you're talking to somebody who is a customer, you know, a prospect to be a customer, or an investor, a prospect to invest in your company, or recruiting a really great team member, you're always selling, right? Someone yes. For something, for capability, for the revenue, for capital that you need. Confidence plays such a pivotal role in your ability to actually get the check, yeah, right, or get the higher done. How do you think you work the confidence muscle? It's easy to get in the zone of believing your future is much bigger than your past, you're confident, but getting knocked down, right, yeah. permission to feel it, but then get right back up. What do you use? My muscle's better than ever, but it's inevitable that whether it's a day or an issue or something that happens where you're like, oh, geez, that was a doozy. And then you just kind of brush it off and move back. What have you kind of learned? And for me, it's been a lot less time. If, in fact, it gets knocked, it's pretty quick to get back. It springs right back. Anything you've learned that you've used over the years? Yeah, and it's
1: actually two things very decisive that I've learned. Number one is I never tried to sell anything until I'm 100% sold on it myself okay? That contributes to confidence. If I'm telling you an idea and I'm not sold on it, in other words, your response is going to help me sell myself on my idea, Yep, I'm dead in the water. I'm dead in the water because I'm depending on you to give me the confidence to actually follow through on my idea. You can remember seven years ago when you were just going out and getting the idea that your confidence isn't what it is now after you've got a big worldwide network and millions and millions of dollars of investment dollars coming through just to casually talk about what your idea is and it has force even though it's kind of casual. Well, back then it was life and death. Really, if emotionally at the end of the day, it was like you had a bad day if you got rejected three times.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. You constantly work to protect your confidence and surround yourselves with- Rule number one. Yeah, surround yourselves, whether it's your team, investors, board, friends and family, and like this notion of, wow, you know, (laughs) somebody who's not protecting my confidence after one or two conversations that it's a problem, you know, you got to move on and move away. And so this idea that- you create a protective barrier and then everybody tries to help protect it. I think is an important part of the confidence game.
1: Yeah, it really is. But I have confidence that I will always get to where I'm aiming, you know, and I've created tools for actually taking the opposition and making it part of the raw material. The first one is I never sell something that I'm not 100% sold on myself. The second one is that if it's the right audience, the answer is always right. In other words, if you've chosen the greatest people for this in terms of check writers, and I make the distinction check writers, Uh, The only feedback I'm really, really interested in the world is someone who can actually write a check for what I'm selling, okay? And there's a right audience for making the pitch to, and there's a wrong audience. So you got to be very, very careful that you're only pitching to the right audience. So we get smarter as we go along. We don't try to sell to everyone, you know? I have a family, six siblings, and nobody knows what I do for a living because <laughs> if I told them if I told them they'd say, Well, where's your college degree for doing that? You know, I mean what gives you the right to go out in the marketplace without a college degree <laughs> to actually do I'm telling you some early yeah. <laughs> early testing of the market. Yeah, well, wrong audience. Yeah. They're not check writers. Yeah. You know, college reunion. I go back for a college reunion. They're all academics, they're government lawyers and You know, I don't tell them what I'm doing because it's being careless to put your ideas out to an inappropriate audience.
0: There's a level of of not maturity as a human being, but entrepreneurial maturity that comes from being confident enough to be able to curate that audience because you're limiting the aperture, right, and getting a much cleaner, fewer people to talk to which for a lot of entrepreneurs defies the logic of talk to a lot of people and pitch a lot of people and you'll find enough yeses. But I think that idea of continuing to shut that into a dialogue with the right people makes a lot of sense. So, all right, so that's the confidence mindset. The flavors here, you know, if I gave you the bookends of future bigger than your past and everything's about today and the controlling and protecting of what you've got left. Yes. I think it's interesting to see these middle stages because, There's a lot of people, and this is that Mm -hmm. frustration zone where you realize it's important to create a bigger future, but you just haven't even thought about what it looks like. Interestingly enough, the episode we just did right before this, I think can help a lot with building your confidence because it gives you a sense of what it looks like. And then you're looking at the next phase where you're actually confident but you've always been winning on what you think is supposed to be the measurement of progress or success.
1: Yeah, I think there are people who are very frustrated, which is our second column. They're frustrated, they really would like this bigger and better thing in the future, but they have a feeling that they're just missing structure and process. They missed school the day that structure and process was taught. And they're just very, very frustrated. And I found that these are the best prospects are the frustrated prospects. They're angsting over the fact there's part of them that really wants to get ahead, they really want to grow. The first column, they're kind of roadkill, really. I mean, they don't even want to have the conversation with you. You're annoying them even by bringing up the prospect. But the second column, they're very, very interested because they've tried everything on their own and it hasn't got them where they're going. So they're all eyes and ears for if you got a new way Especially if it really allows them to channel and focus really good abilities they have, and then all of a sudden they speed up from it. I mean, think about your people in the health network that, you know, they were probably very frustrated. They had a big vision on what their thing could do, but they were playing a small game based on what they knew, and you showed them a whole new yeah. universe of capabilities. Got them into a community where everybody
0: was, you know, ambitious in the right way. Yeah. And the confidence, I think, is interestingly enough, because some of the mindsets before confidence here is about community mm-hmm. connections. But I do believe that surrounding yourself with the right people does protect that confidence. The interesting thing about where it plays into this is ultimately it being right before the culmination of cash. <laughs> so if you've gotten to a place where you're, Confident, you sold yourself, your future's bigger than your past, you're growing more ambitious by the day. You need money to grow. Yeah, I think cash comes in lots of different avenues. Some people generate revenue by selling to customers alone and fund and capitalize their business that way. Some raise external capital and raise to accelerate and make things happen sooner Mm -hmm. through capital that lets them scale and build a lot of things that might have taken a lot longer. Talk about your own philosophy of cash and then. If you could, address it to this notion of cash can come from lots of different kind of avenues, Mm -hmm. but ultimately recognizing that you need the cash to grow into what ultimately becomes that 100x regardless.
1: Yeah, I think that the confidence of an entrepreneur is in an upward loop with cash. And the reason is that cash is universally understood and valued. You know, you want a capability that you don't have to explain and that's why money somewhere in human history was created because you don't have to show the something that the cash is based on. You just have to show the cash. I mean, if it's backed up by a good government and it's a stable cash and it's understood everywhere in the world. But my feeling is if there's (laughs) a—I've often said that if there's a God in the entrepreneurial heaven, the name of that God is cash flow. And the thing is that cash flow predicts the future. I mean, think of the people who work for you. If they know cash is rolling in, they know their jobs are safe.
0: Yeah, it frees them up to not be worried about, by the way. They're not anxious. Yeah, that's always the anxious entrepreneur who's worried about cash too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you're worried and you're
1: not sharing with your family. You know, dad or mom is really worried. They're not saying what it is. It's cash flow. I always say that people who answer their cell phones, inside of a strategic coach program I said there's somebody with cash flow problems some
0: real and some perceived right yeah and some of it is anxiety about that
1: yeah yeah I think it can get hardwired in the early days when you don't have a lot of cash and it's sort of an anxiety that gets hardwired in an entrepreneurs system but what I've noticed is that if I do the other, Seven things in this scorecard that we have, and I put them in place, and I'm constantly strengthening them and integrating them together. Cash is a byproduct. We're at a stage now where you know we're having outstanding all-time months. You can measure yourself right from the beginning when you first started. What was a great cash flow month in your first year compared to what's a great cash flow month now in Speaking directly to you, your seventh yeah. your you know, I mean, it's a hundred times your cash flow.
0: Yeah, and I think the predictability of cash flow. There's a great deal of this conversation that is about not just the short-term cash flow, but the long-term predictability of cash flow. When you know that one, two, three years out, there's recurring revenue and a model that is not going to constantly have you running out of money or always running out of money and doing that. So how do you kind of talk to the entrepreneurs who want to be so early that they don't have some of that Hmm. predictable cash flow? What's your take on the startup or the company that doesn't yet have that?
1: The big thing is, it's a question I put out, if your competitors find out about what you're doing, do you want them to benefit from your breakthrough? Would you be okay with your competitors actually being your customers, you know, that they would actually pay you for the new value creation that you're creating? And that's one mindset. But the other thing is, do you have enough cash already in reserves that it would be okay if cash was actually the last thing that you thought about?
0: What's the answer you usually get back? Or regardless of how they answer, they tell you a lot, but-
1: Oh, yeah, it tells me a lot, but the big thing is your existing company is separate. Nobody else owns this company. You can go on producing cash with your existing company. There's no problem with it. I mean, that's handled. So you've got predictability of cash flow so that you can play in this larger universe. One of my collaborations is with Peter Diamandis and A360. We've given a lot of time, we've put a lot of people into A360. And I said, just to make this simple, why don't you just keep all the cash and you own the whole thing? I just want the capability that we're creating together out of it. And it doesn't phase me at all and it doesn't phase the strategic coach out of that because we're making money on our side. So one of the things is, don't be foolish with this, I mean, you got to have cash generation that you can absolutely predict and you absolutely control. I mean, you know how to make money, Steve. Yeah. You can make money in a dozen different ways what you're doing. And that predictability and confidence about your ability to create cash allows you to play this much larger game.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm actually reflecting on not just when I started out multiple times building businesses from scratch, but with entrepreneurs who start off without the capital or the cash flow when they need to, it's almost like create it and they will come. They need to kind of build a prototype, and attract a team. And a lot of times it's front-loading the cash through investment. So you're using other people's money and selling them some equity in your company or getting grants from foundations or nonprofits or government agencies. A lot of it really investment to help yeah. you accelerate and build something that at scale can return that investment back to investors at a significant multiple. So the game that they play is a little different yeah. because these are not building successful small businesses that become large businesses. This is, they're moonshot companies. It's either going to work really, really well and change the world, or it's going to be a piece of somebody else's because they're yeah. going to buy it, or it's going to flame out and not work. Either way, we learned a lot. There's a lot of value from the wisdom, the intellectual capital, the data. And I think much like the early search engines, Mm -hmm. might have died by the time Google went public, a lot of that played a role in allowing Google to exist. Or for that matter, lots of today's innovations and innovative companies either bought or quickly got to their size or to their scope by leapfrogging.
1: But it's just an indication that when you have this kind of vision, regardless of what it is for the future, that's great for you, but it's great for a lot of other people. Steve, just a thoroughly enjoyable... Afternoon, we were watching the snow come down in New York City. And Dan, great talking to you as always. Thank you. Take care.